welcome to the inaugural episode of Puro Trash. Yes, another wrestling podcast. It's happening, guys. Get used to it. We're here. We're going to review some um, 90s European wrestling from Eurosport. So, um, joining me today, Patrick Reed. Hello. Are we, are, we, are we allowed to say that you're from Channel Islands World Wrestling? We are indeed, yeah. I'm Patrick W. Reid yeah. of Channel Islands World Wrestling. Patrick W. Reid, Executive Chief of Talent Relations and General Manager of Channel Islands World Wrestling. Well, uh, I, I, I won't stick with that because someone higher up than me might be listening to this. Uh, I'll just go with Senior Official. Senior Official. Yes, yeah, Senior Official. Grand Exalted Viceroy of Channel <laughs> Islands World Wrestling. Pat Reed, how are you today? You I'm right? very well, thank you. And yourself? I, I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. Um, while we're recording this, I know we'll probably go in December, but this is WrestleMania weekend this week, so Pat, you, you, you any plans? You, you doing anything? I'm a small shindig having people around to watch Mania itself and hoping to try and fit in... At the very least, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport in somewhere over the course of the weekend. Yeah, me, uh, me and George are doing like some sort of. Um, we're trying to do some sort of arrangement where we try and buy as many of the shows as possible, and kind of split it between the two of us, and use like you know scab a whole bunch of the uh, credit codes and all that. So they should be really good. I'm looking forward to Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan from Joey Janela's yes. break, where a yeah. crowd is literally going to cr- uh, cheer. For two invisible people, but nothing. Yeah, I mean, I felt, I feel it's, very, it's really very happen. sorry for Bryce Remsburg in that match. <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be hilarious. But um, well, I mean, this brings me on to the uh, one thing. Obviously, uh, we mentioned earlier, you're part of Channel Islands World Wrestling. Uh, I'm right, I'm right in saying that you you live in Jersey. Is that correct? I do indeed. Yeah. You do right. So I was going to ask you this because like a lot of this stuff is basically what we've done is we've taken the playlist um, of called Judo Sport Wrestling. There's two of them, but we've taken uh, one of them, and we're running through. It's a whole bunch of uh, matches from shows in the '90s shown on the channel Eurosport. Now I was going to ask you about this because obviously Jersey is a bit of a a great area, so to speak. You got a lot of French channels, is that right? I know you had an issue earlier <laughs> this week where you could only get French channels. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, um, that's that's not sort of a ma- uh, matter of course for Jersey, and we do have, you know, I could pick up all the British channels in theory. Uh, we do have our own sort of local BBC, local ITV. Yeah. Areas, but for whatever reason, since I got a new TV recently. I can just pick up slightly grainy Canal Plus and other French channels. That, that that's wonderful. That's it. That's I sort of love that because that used to be you used to be able to do it um, on Sky. This is going back way 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 back where like you would be able to get I think is it um is it ZDF or um... uh, RT. I remember watching RTL. And, RTL, um, yeah, yeah, just oh, just yeah. watching the Flintstones in Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they would also show like WCW pay per views really late at night, like right, in the middle okay. of the night and stuff. Uh, so there was between like WCW pay per views and softcore pornography. So you know, I, you know, if you're a kid in the nineties, just you know, RTL was your, your premium <laughs> destination. Um, but I, I was going to ask, like, it, it, because I, I know like the Isle of Wight and stuff like that, they have things where they can't get um the same as on the mainland so are you able to get like sky and cable and stuff like that in jersey we are yeah or where are you at the time uh well um at the time you know any of the because we're talking about um well i think early 90s aren't we for eurosport wrestling yeah yeah so the two matches you were watching 
today are from 1990. Yeah, so I was still living in, in England up until 2000. Yeah, so I mean, even then, to be fair, at that point, like, um, it, what, like the 90s, it, it was very much like, I think a lot of people, they watch Eurosport. It was either for like a friend who had Eurosport, like, they're, you know, their parents are really, really rich and they got a sky dish or they had got like a chipped cable box because that's what everyone in near, near where I live, everyone had like one of the hooky boxes that you would get for like 40 quid and you got every channel um, including the RTL and stuff like that and you got all the football and all the wrestling yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think for us we were we were early adopters of Sky weirdly. Not early adopters of anything else and not really posh enough to justify being early adopters of Sky but we did seem to have it before a lot of other people and uh, and yeah, most of my early memories of it are early 90s wrestling and grainy Dutch Flintstones. Dutch, I almost said grainy Dutch pornography. I was a child. I wasn't, I was very rarely watching Dutch pornography. So yeah, we're, we're going to review um, some of the matches. Now, as far as I can see, when I've been having a look at this, Eurosports wrestling is a mixed bag in terms of, I think they literally showed anything. Like, if it was people wrestling... They they showed it. They showed New Japan. They did. They showed WWF. In fact, I remember uh, listeners of uh, my other podcast, the Pure Free Podcast, will remember when he spoke to Jamie, um, who runs the DDT website. He was talking about how his first like um, experience of wrestling was literally watching Eurosport, watching I think it was Liger versus Wild Pegasus, which is is mad to see. To think of that it would just be like some random channel showing like some of the greatest yeah. wrestling of all time with absolutely no cultural context in the UK. Well, Eurosport showed UWFI, didn't they? They did, yeah, yeah. And I think it was it Channel. I might have seen Channel Four used to show like UWFI as well, Bushido, like, like along with like Transworld Sport and stuff like that. Like I think it was. I'm not sure. I, I thought Bushido was. Purely the the Eurosport broadcast, but it may it may have made Channel I'm Four sure as well. I'm sure it was on sure. with like oh, you know like the the windsurfing and you know angling and like Transworld Sport and they'd show like right, yeah. at half three in the morning and like you know weird baseball and all that. So and kabaddi. So yes, yeah, I was about to say between the kabaddi and the sumo. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So like I think and I think there is a bit of a thing there. Like they showed WWF quite a bit, but I think it was a bit patchy at times. In fact, they showed. I think they still show WWF in like Europe on Eurosport. Uh, they don't hear, okay. but you, you see it sometimes from, ti- from time to time when they can't be bothered updating the listings, and you see like WWE Raw, and then it gets and then it just doesn't happen. And funnily enough, actually, when I watched it, I put on Eurosport a while ago last year, and they were showing World Championship Wrestling, and I'm like, hold on, it's 2018. <laughs> what is going on here? I immediately recorded it. And I went back and watched it. It was actually just the World Championships of Amateur Wrestling. And I was, oh, right. I thought they were showing like some random pro show from like 95 that they just found in an old, uh, like in a box in an attic or something. Oh, I'll just stick that one. The skiing has run uh, a half an hour too short stick on some WCW Worldwide. <laughs> what was your gateway into wrestling? When did you start? Well, I, I struggle to remember really. Um, I watched wrestling very patchily mm-hmm. in the kind of early to mid 90s. Uh, no one else in my family was really into it, apart mm. from me and, to much lesser extent, my brother. Mm. And so I'd, I'd just catch highlight shows when they were on on Sky. Oh, I don't think I ever watched a pay-per-view or, or probably not even an episode of Raw or Superstars. I would have been watching, 
Yeah, the real B shows. Oh yeah, like you're you're jacked in your metals of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever the sort of 1993, 94 equivalent was. Very early on, one of my favourite wrestlers was Duke Drozzi, so that tells you the level of of talent. He can put he can put bins out better than Randy Orton. That's all I'll say. True, very true. <laughs> Um, or maybe not. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's why we've not seen him in a while. Maybe, maybe he just has some. He's claimed another victim. Weird Randy Orton injury, um, where he's like <laughs> he's he's like throwing his rotator cuff, putting the bins out. That would be. Well, the amount of bins that he's put out, his pro- his shoulders might be I, torn to shreds. Especially if if he lives around uh, near my dad's uh, media, because I remember my dad had a spat with his bin men. And he, do you uh, do you have a brown bin where you stay, like with their like garden waste and stuff like that? No, no, we are absolutely awful in Jersey for recycling and waste management or anything. So I've just just got one big fuck off bin. Well, in Glasgow, um, we have a brown bin, which is for like grass cuttings, tree clippings, like food stuff like that. But my dad had a spat because he has a huge garden. Like I'm talking like full size football pitch length of garden. Like, it's, right, it's huge. And he had to get another brown bin. He had to get two because his he's, garden was so big. And they, they, they were very pressy about this. And they, refu- they were like totally like getting into war with him. And I remember he once filled his brown bin up with uh, water. He put a hose in and just filled the whole thing up with water and then dragged it out to the front. And then just left it there for the, ne- the next day until like some poor bin man had to come and take away <laughs> an entire bin of our wheelie bin full of water and grass. And then, of course, when they put it into the truck... It just went everywhere and just uh, totally covered them. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure that my dad's local bin man has torn his rotator cuff, um, pulling his his fucking brown bins in. So we are reviewing the first two matches of the Eurosport Wrestling playlist as uh, put up by Arthur Cycle because there's two of them and the Arthur Cycle one is the one that we're going for. I'm sure we'll end up reviewing all the other ones down the line if this is a success, but. For the moment, we're just working our way through that. The first match that we have here uh, for us is um, Owen Hart versus Colonel Brody from, we think, December 1990. Um, I mean, it seems to be that in cage matches, the only time these two ever fought off was in like, tag team matches and battle royales. And the tag team matches were all in one tour in July 1990. Sorry, the World Catch Cup tournament in Vienna at the Hoymarkt. Owen Hart, Owen Hart versus Colonel Brody. So, I mean, Owen Hart, what's your experience of Owen Hart? When did you first find out about him? Well, he would have been around the WWF when I first started watching. The Hart family was something that I kind of very distinctly remember. With probably one of my last memories before I stopped watching wrestling and then picked back up in mid-2000 was of Shawn Michaels super-kicking Bret Hart in a wheelchair. Uh, Owen was someone I was always sort of familiar with, but didn't really appreciate all that much until I got back into wrestling years later and looked back. So I missed a lot of the... um, A lot of his kind of post-Montreal Screwjob run in the WWF, where he wasn't so much defined by being... by his relationship to Bret. I actually... I recently watched... Fully Loaded 1998, I watched maybe a week ago, in which Owen has a, 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 the dungeon match with, with Ken Shamrock, which, if anyone hasn't seen it, is a no-ring submission match in the Hart Family dungeon with Dan the Beast 7 as referee. Yeah, it's basically in Stu Hart's basement. It's, it's quite the sight. It's an extraordinary match, because I say there's no ring, it's all on 
mats on basically the thinnest layer of padding and then solid oh, yeah. wooden walls. It's between, obviously, a UFC champion in Ken Shamrock and Owen as a member of the Hart family who are built up as these expert technicians. So you're expecting a real map-based submission match, and it features a ref bump and at least two Irish whips. Yes, and a Hurricane Rana off a pipe. Uh, yeah. Jumps up and grabs a pipe, and then Hurricane Rana's Ken Shamrock. It's, it's wonderful bleak, because, yeah, as you say, the, the mats are like... I mean, I, the, you get toilet paper and work that is fa- thicker than those mats. Yeah. There's not really any give whatsoever in them. It, it's more mostly decorative. But, um, see, I... I got into wrestling in 1999 in like january 99 so i caught owen hearts out last what four months and he was they weren't his best four months so like for a a long while he was he he was kind of you know you know they got he was associated with that accident for me and my friends because that's literally we got into it and then that happened and that's what you remembered him for but as I said, like once I I had a big hiatus from wrestling for a good what four or five years, and then when I came back and started watching again like a lot of the old stuff, um, you really realise how, how just how good he was. Yeah. Um. And I think he's he's a much more diverse wrestler than Brett ever was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He he can work against. I mean, like you, you watch um you watch like Brett's matches against people like Masawa and stuff like that, and you re- or or any time you face like any luchadors and um on in WCW and whatever, and he's a bit flummoxed. But you watch it own heart against people like Liger and stuff like that, and like he um he he clearly he can adapt. I think a lot lot better. Uh, yeah, and there's a, there's a real sense in this match with uh, Colonel Brody in particular, and matches from around that era. There's a real sense that Owen is picking and choosing what works for him from different styles he's picked up along the way. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of the the Japanese junior style of that era to Owen's work at this time in his career. Because this and... is prime, like, when he is facing Liger and, like, the junior division in New Japan and stuff like that. It's around about this time, isn't it? This is sort of an excursion for him at this point where he's doing all that sort of stuff. That sounds about right, yeah. And I... um, At the time, if we we think this is... This is probably from... Would it be CWA in Germany? Yeah, so this is from CWA. Um, despite what um, Odig Williams says, and we will get to that, um, this is a, I think this is CWA, but he calls it the EWF, I think the European Wrestling Federation, which I believe was an actual federation. I believe that's for like Rambo and Flesh Gordon and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, made a name, I but... I don't know if they were ever a kind of a broader sort of umbrella over other European promotions, or yeah. if it's just... Oreg Williams winging it over miscellaneous footage that Eurosport have given him to yeah, talk like, over. Yeah, Eurosport have literally just been given thousands of videotapes and Oreg Williams has been tasked with trying to make some sort of semblance from it. Um, but yeah, so, but, you know, I definitely, I think this must be like the catch cup um, in Graz because it seems to be that around about that time that's when he was working. Colonel Brody, I mean, I was going to introduce you to when I first heard about Colonel Brody, but it was actually about a day ago when I actually watched this match because I'd never heard of him in my puff. No, I know I know very, very little about him. I know he was William Regal's first opponent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... that is about it. I know it's a, 
Um, he worked under a couple of other names, yeah, of which I think I've he was seen the, nothing. The, the marvelous Maurice, or something like that. Uh, something like that. I, I t- which I imagine is a sort of gorgeous George gimmick. Yeah, I believe it was sort of a gorgeous George Adrian Street gimmick, but um, then he uh, kind of changed, and um, he is. Um, hails from South Africa, but lives in Yorkshire. Well, actually, um, this is another amazing bit of Oreg Williams commentary. Is that well, the gimmick? Yeah. The gimmick of Colonel Brody is that he was a South African mercenary, and yeah. this is obviously during apartheid in South Africa. Yeah, nineteen ninety. So yeah, yeah. This is so it is a, a slightly, slightly less intense version of the gimmick that Colonel De Beers would have been doing. In the U.S. in the eighties, I don't, I don't expect that um, Colonel Brody wrestling in town halls in in North Yorkshire would have been doing quite the racially charged element that De Beers Colin was. Calling Nelson Mandela terrorist and all that. And yeah. Well, maybe. Well, maybe that's a babyface gimmick in some in some parts. Well, that that's very true. Yeah. But here, Oreg Williams says he's billed from South Africa but hails from North Yorkshire. <laughs> he just buries the gimmick within seconds of Colonel Brody appearing. Well, I mean, I, I thought Oreg Williams here, setting his stall out very early by saying that he is very happy to see a wrestler who, where it's implied that he is a part of the apartheid regime. Now, he's very, I, yeah, he's very happy to see he, Colonel he loves Brody. It. He's apartheid daft, Oreg Williams. He, <laughs> he, he, lo- he loves this, like, um, yeah, like, because I, 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 I heard this, I was like, alright, then this is an apartheid gimmick. Well, surely um, Oreg will, will put him over as the, the clear heel in this match and, you know, clearly does not want any sort of, oh no, he, he's happy to see him. Oh well then, no, that, that's fine. Uh, good for you, Oreg Williams. At least he wears his heart in his sleeve, Oreg Williams. Indeed. And, uh, and, and Oreg also opening this match by explaining that, as usual in France, the dancing girls start the show. Yeah, I but saw as the I think we, and girls, and I was like, "Oh, right!" Literally, the first visual we got, and that will only get worse as this as this continues. There are matches I, later on in this playlist where the dancing girls are quite a bit more intense than we've got here. Yes, but also, yeah, it's a bit more RTL scramble vision. Yes, um, yeah. but um, but also we should point out to Oreg Williams through the mists of time that we don't think this is in France. Well, uh, well, well, well. Um, Williams, within three minutes of this match, right, is already telling us that there are 3,000 people in here. Yeah, the... Even though... He, and he says, even though it might look like there's only 80 in there. And eight, 80 is generous. Yes. There's about now, 15 people on the stage. Now... Patrick, in your role as Grand Exalted Viceroy of Channel Islands World Wrestling, have you ever just blatantly lied about an attendance? Like you know, just I... like like ran uh ran a uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, war memorial hall in St Helier and said you get nineteen thousand in. You know you know something. <laughs> I, I honestly don't believe that we have, and now I'm wondering why not. I mean, this was literally like Hulk Hogan counting the attendance at Celtic Park. That's how ridiculous this was. Like, and there were clearly like janitors, or like season ticket holders who've not turned up. They've all been accounted because at least like, he he's talking about like three thousand people. There is no unless 
the like because he he seems to imply that the side of the building is quite long. Now, unless the side of the building is like the length of the Berlin Wall or something like that, I really don't think that you've got that many people in here. Like, is this just like a hard camera and they're actually at like Twickenham or something like that? Well, that's really yeah. The, the, the implication is very much the ca- hard cam is pointed on the stage, which only has a, a small crowd on it. But every other side of the ring is obviously packed to the rafters. Oh yeah, like I mean, and you can absolutely hear them. I mean, it's you know, it's like it's like Ricky Dozan versus Lou Fez in terms of you know the crowd just living and dying by this. Like you can barely hear it. You can barely hear Oreg Williams' commentary for all, for the crowd, which. Probably would be a good. That thing that would be that would be an improvement. Yeah. I, I, I will point out that they do end up fighting outside the ring towards the end amongst the three thousand people. Yeah, I mean, like you know, it's like it's like Dawn of the Dead, you know, where all the zombies, you know, just like grab grabbing them all. There's just it's just an absolute mass of humanity that, that is definitely three thousand people. Um, however, I mean, we are literally twenty five minutes into this podcast recording, Patrick, and I'm afraid to say. We have already peaked because Owen Hart cut a promo on the carousel at the fun fair. Oh, clearly, oh and, this is Owen Hart doing a babyface promo from a school trip at Bridlington Arcade. It, like, <laughs> it is incredible. Really is. And, like, yeah, I was like, well, that's it. We, don't, we can just shut off the podcast right now because we're not going to get anything better. And, and Owen Hart in his tracksuit with a ton of kids just cutting a promo Ready to go in the waltzers afterwards. Have I, have like, I told have I told you ever about the the Mega Slam wrestling show I went to in Bridlington? Oh, oh, please do. Please now do. Mega Slam are very much in the holiday camp mold, as seen on TV. Yeah, uh, that we we were. I think it was a Monday evening. <laughs> Always a hotbed for like Butlins. Um, Absolutely, holidays. Monday evening at uh, at, Brid- at Bridlington Spa. Did the George Michael tribute cabaret cancel? <laughs> I I did once do a show where there was a Robbie Williams tribute act on after us. I was going to say, I really wish you just said that yeah, once did do a show as a George Michael tribute cabaret because <laughs> I would pay so much money for that video. I've also run, um, I've run, worked a CIW show in the same venue as a Peter Kay tribute act. So Incredible. Anyway, the Mega Slam show was... It was your family-friendly holiday camp fair. Nothing particularly yeah. remarkable. Apart from the main event was one of their top baby faces against a heel manager who had been interfering all night. <laughs> and the promoter sets it up that it's they've only got one show left of this run. And if the heel loses, he won't be on that show. But when it comes to the match, the stipulation is announced as the loser is banned from Bridlington. <laughs> Which is a it's a phenomenal stipulation, and it would only be better if the show weren't taking place in Bridlington. <laughs> if, if, if you... I mean, it's kind of that way where um, surely it should be the other way round, where the winner is banned from yes, Bridlington yeah. and the loser has to come back. This this poor the poor heel losing and just not being allowed to have have a nice day at the beach next week. Yeah, how will I ever like cope without being able to take back rock? To all it's my the, heel friends. It's the sort of stipulation that feels like it would be added on right at the end of a Bill Dundee-Jerry Lawler feud. <laughs> They're fighting for Bill Dundee's wife's hair, 
$10,000, the World Championship, Jerry Lawler's Cadillac, and the loser is banned from Bridlington. <laughs> yeah, that is, it's like, it's one of those ridiculous boxing unification fights. You know, there was like 18 alphabet soup um, belts yes. being on yeah. the line. Uh, oh, I know, the loser is now banned from Bridlington. It's also, it's the, it's, the only stipulation in all of wrestling that wasn't in the Ted DiBiase Jim Duggan match from Mid South. <laughs> I mean, I, I draw the line at the body to life step, but you know, if they just went banned from Bridlington, it'd have been the full set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this match, um, the first move got a replay. <laughs> Literally, the first move in the match, action replay. I'm like, this does not bode well. This does not scream work rate to me. No, <laughs> no, uh, no. Adding out after very, the very game. little of Colonel Brody's performance is screaming work right here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of wrist locks. Just like wrist locks by the metric ton in this match. Like, there's a good three minutes where they just like, like, can work a double wrist lock and then yes. just go, yeah. and just turn it over and then and turn it over again. And it's like, oh, all right, then I, I can see where this is going. And it's, it's hard to really say how appropriate that was not knowing where on the card this fits if this was an if this was a main event uh then this is absolutely diabolical but <laughs> if somewhere, this is first you know, match in the show yeah but, yeah first match or first match before intermission something like that this is perfectly fine colonel brody is a very functional old-fashioned british wrestler who heals it up in very subtle ways and does a lot of very straightforward work. There's a bit where Brody chokes Owen in the ropes, and the referee absolutely loses it at him, just like completely screaming at him, "Let it go! Let it go! Stop choking him in the rope!" Like he, the, you know how you you know in WWE they'll be like, "Come on, get come on, let it go, let it go." No, this man was just not having it whatsoever. And this is actually uh, this is something I quite like about British and to a lesser extent European wrestling of the period. Uh, which is, the referee is Mick McMichael, who yeah. is a retired wrestler and who Oreg Williams spent longer putting out than either of the wrestlers in this match. Oreg, in between setting up Welsh wrestling shows in Sun City, explains that it is tradition for referees to wear a kilt. It, for referees in France to wear a kilt is is tradition. You might not expect to see it in the UK. But it, it's the done you thing. You might not expect to see it in France or, you know, Vienna. I don't, I don't want to give anything away from the rest of the matches in this playlist, but evidence would suggest it's not tradition. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is one of those memes where it's like when Scotland are playing Moldova in the Group H World Cup qualifier at three, but you have to referee Owen Hart versus De Brody at half five <laughs> because... I, I will say, I am I'm from Glasgow. I have worn a kilt on occasion. Now, there's only um, f- three um, occasions where you would ever wear a kilt, and it's a wedding. Yep. Some sort of graduation. Something like, you know, you know something like that. Like, a graduation or, like, you know, some accomplishment in your life, you know, such yeah. as a wedding. Yeah. Or, if you are going to see Scotland play in the football that's it. That's the only. That's the only acceptable times it's allowed to work out. You don't just wear a kilt. What? You certainly do not do it when you are in the middle of Vienna, refereeing uh, own heart matches. Uh, certainly when you're like, Mick McMichael, who's from Doncaster. 
Yeah, I know. The the, the, the Celtic heritage <laughs> just flowing through his blood. Now, I, I assume he must have worked a Scottish gimmick. I mean, Mick McMichael. Well, see, I thought it would have maybe have been um, a, an Irish gimmick. I'm not meaning meaning to be disparaging there, but I mean, if you if you said to me, um, there's a 70s, 80s uh, wrestler from the UK called Mick McMichael. Yeah. What was his gimmick? He'd be like, well, you know, they've probably pegged him as you know, top of the morning, you know, Guinness hat, going to smash in the everyday Celtic in a cup final. I do think that. Uh... I do think the British wrestling tended to shy away from the Irish gimmicks, though, and during the seventies. True. As we all, as we all know, that was uh, that was Giant Barber's territory. Was it? Wasn't. <laughs> very, very good. Epi- episode one, and we're dropping in jokes. <laughs> uh, I mean, wasn't Giant Haystacks built from Ireland, or he was like? I, I, they, they always intonated of some sort of Irish heritage. They did, but I don't think he was ever built from there. Um, no, it's just kind of like I think he was know, generally billed as being from Lancashire, but I know there's uh, a lot's been written on uh, Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks being a sort of ersatz Britain versus Ireland and civilization versus wild. You know, to be fair, I'll give I'll give credit to Colonel Rudy to one hell of a spell to the floor. The, um, there are a couple think, in this match actually, which are quite impressive. I I think I'm going to put out a wild theory here. I think European wrestling at this sort of uh, era is the best in the world for um, eccentric spells to the floor. Because in both of these matches, we had some fantastic cracking eccentric spells to the floor. Like Even like you get like your flare flops over the turnbuckles. It's nothing compared to like the sort of utterly ridiculous... There are, there are some, uh, some extraordinary ones. Have you ever seen the Finlay versus uh, Terry Funk match from CWA in about 94... I, f- I think it rings a bell, yeah. Because that is full of both men who are obviously amongst the greatest of all time doing the best bumping and selling and spills to the floor imaginable. It does seem that German and broader European wrestling, the psychology is built around occasionally falling out of the ring in the most hilarious way you can manage. Because like, Regal talks about this all the time about how the, the slapstick comedy, like he's a big proponent of like your sort of you know your slapstick comedy and he loves all that sort of stuff and he uses it in wrestling. I feel that like this these sort of spells to the floor, there's clearly a sort of influence from that of this heel studio. I think of- there's an element of that, and it is yeah, it's a very heel gimmick, and it's something I don't think you see so much of in in modern day and in American wrestling where yeah. the way you sell as a heel is completely different to the way you sell as a face. And as a yeah. face should be selling to garner sympathy, whereas the way a heel bumps, the way a heel sells, should be ridiculous. It should yeah, be slapstick. It should be, it should be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be, haha, that man has fallen exactly. in his ass. You're, yeah, exactly. You're meant to be, it's meant to be embarrassing for them. Yeah, like I, some of the some of the bumps in it, even Owen Hart as well. There was a there was a part where he does oh what he flips off of the ropes. He does a he like he does a cut a backflip off the ropes he, to get out of. I think it's a he does. Off it's a like um a springboard off the top rope into mm. a backflip to escape an arm ringer and then hit a hip toss because no matter yeah. how acrobatic Owen is in this match. At some point, he has to remember that he's still wrestling this match against Colonel Brody, and it has to be built around <laughs> arm ringers and hip tosses. Yeah, and like I found that see that see those ropes, 
are the bounciest ropes you've ever seen they in your are, life. How how bouncy they are did they very look? very loose ropes. Um, and they yeah. are. I'm, I, I thought I was watching a vol. <laughs> Uh, CIWW have very loose ropes because we have a very small ring and the um, the height of the ring means that the ropes don't get tight enough and attempting to do anything like a springboard off them is it's a death trap and to see how well Owen hits this springboard which is a move that you're not going to see from someone from America or Canada in 1990 No, absolutely not I mean, we've got Pillman even, Even then, then like, it's that... it's sort of ahead of that time. It's, Pillman, you might have seen at the sort of even then was that all like ninety two, yeah, when or ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, he. I don't think he'd had his his matches with Liger yet, which are, that's yeah. what really kind of pushed him as a high flyer into the next gear. And I love that this this is a spot that exists during a match where also Owen works the mustache. Yes, he he does. It's it's, it's a great. I, I love that. I'm actually yeah. Like I love any sort of um, you know silly place. I wanted to see was there a Jack Gallagher match recently where they did that where they they uh, they worked the moustache. He seems like a prime candidate for it. I'm sure I've seen it some sort of. It it must it must have been done. That. It must have been done. Yeah, surely. Uh, uh, Brody gets a real a yellow card. I love I, I love the yellow card. And I'm I'm a big yellow fan card is incredible. of public warnings in world of sports but actually a yeah, physical yeah. yellow card from the referee is something yeah the visual i wish it, we could bring that back um, absolutely absolutely you, you should do that channel is world wrestling just bring in yellow cards i, I would i would love to there's actually there's uh, a fantastic i'm going to put someone over now in london lucia league there's a gimmick called evan lee united and evan uh-huh. lee was one of their wrestlers doing a football gimmick and I believe yeah. he's out injured at the moment. So they brought in other trainees to be his team. And yeah. <laughs> they've all got um, kind of pun names. So there's David Reckham, Harry Payne, and offhand, I can't remember what the others are. Oh, right, like, like you're, you're Sultan Lennox Absolutely, or sort of yeah. type of names. And they, they sing their national anthem at the start of the match. They all, all line up. Amazing. Uh, whoever's not wrestling is out at ringside starting chants for them. Evan Lee will do real kind of uh, manager on the sidelines, trying to hype his man up. Yeah. It is, I'm just constantly no, no. amazed that I've never seen it done before. People have done football gimmicks, yeah. but to this extent, it's extraordinary. And it's only a matter of time before these guys start do, getting yellow cards, red cards, and really letting the referee lean into it. And I can't wait to see how that, that develops. That sounds amazing. Brody as well, for for all the you know for all the he milks a ten count partially because he's probably quite uh, a burst couch at this point, but he, he milks a ten count um, as as a good heel yes. should. Oh, Brody as a heel in this is uh, there's not a lot of heat, but his tactics heel wise are superb. Uh, very 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 old fashioned, simplistic, making sure he's on the referee's blind side when he's pulling the hair. Just the sort of cheating that used to be so commonplace, but you don't really see that much because it's not very flashy. Well, um, Oric Williams, in, be- in between buying and bagels tomatoes, <laughs> um, there comes away with a fantastic uh, quote, and I, I, I had to rewind this because I didn't think this is a- I didn't think he'd said this. I thought I'd misheard it. And this is verbatim a quote: Colonel Brody, back to what he does best, smiling. I'd- yes, um, I remembered that. And again, I, I was convinced Let, that I must have misheard it. 
Um, I don't. I, I was like, that can't possibly. You can't possibly have a heel apartheid <laughs> sympathizer and his going be smiling. You know, he's just happy is, to be here. Is the apartheid sympathizer simp- gimmick made worse when we acknowledge that he's not South African? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, because, I mean, like, and not that by no means, and this is a credible for episode one for a statement to be to be stating, by no means am I defending apartheid here when I say this, right? But if you are, if you are from South Africa at the time and you're under the government regime, you know, there's going to be a, cert- a sort of degree of, you know, like, not, there's going to be people who are not, you know, you know, overtly fussed. You know, the, the trains run on time and all that. You know, you're not bothered. You you can maybe understand if you if you lived in it, whereby if you were ruled by that government, there may be a yes. bit of a yeah. Whereas uh, where, where, yeah, whereas know, Colonel Brody, by Oreg Williams's admission, is from North Yorkshire, yet still a pro-apartheid mercenary. He loves apartheid, even though he's like probably never been to South Africa. He's very disconcerting. I've, I've like, really, I the... really hope he's never wrestled in South Africa. Uh, certainly yeah, not under this um, gimmick. Like, uh, not unless Oddie Williams <laughs> picked him. I, it reminds me of have you ever have you ever seen the um, the or the um, the U, the UK branch of the DPRK. So there's like no, the, the, Korean no, worker, the North Korean Workers Party have a branch in the UK, right? Like I, I followed them years ago. I'm, I'm massively fascinated with Jushi and stuff like that. So I, I followed them years ago, and it's all like really sycophantic. You know, the great leader Kim Jong Il went on a, like a, a fact finding mission or something like that, and all that. And then um, they have like meetings in a pub. <laughs> So it'll be like a pub and like I want to I want to say it's up north it's sort of like you know sort of your your pen riffs the world <laughs> you know, sort of places um, and they, I, I'll need to find out where it is but like they they have like these these DPRK meetings uh, where they discuss like the the Korean Workers Party and like you know their their you know whenever they have like a big uh, conference or uh, just just down manifest, just down the road from the Otter Sanctuary in Penrith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like you know, sort of around that, you know, uh, state. You know, they go to the status quo uh, playing the festival on the Sunday, and then they go to the DPRK meeting on the Monday. I, I really think that I, I, I don't hope because it's awful, but I really think that it would be quite funny if Colonel Brothy just had like a similar thing for like the clerk. Do you know what I mean? Like just and up him and like one other guy in a screwdriver shop just sitting there in a pub in Doncaster, just discussing apartheid, and you know. You know, it seems, it, it seems like it's destined to happen. We should probably say that, I, I, as far as we know, the actual, the actual wrestler is not a fan of apartheid. It's just for legal reasons. Yep, I think, I think we. His gimmick is it is an apartheid sympathizer. Yeah, I think we can establish that that's that's still an unknown. Yeah, still an unknown. Uh, although it was the eighties in the UK, so you know. If you gave me a thousand guesses as to what Oryx was going to say when he said, Colonel Brody, back to what he's doing best, I genuinely could never have guessed that the, the next word would be smiling. No, and I'm, uh, I'm not convinced he even was smiling at the time. I don't even think he was smiling for this no. entire match. <laughs> this seems like a lot of effort for Colonel Brody. I don't think he'd have been too happy. At this, about having to like work a match with a guy who does flips. Yeah, and I'm 
I'm not sh- I don't think Colonel Brody was a young man at the time. No, no. I mean, he does look like Charles Bronson, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's just bizarre. It's just so bizarre. Do you, uh, do you have any other things you want to mention or will we cut to the finish? Uh, well, there's a couple of, of fun spots that I quite liked, liked or fun by the standards of this match so far. Yeah. In which the first is Brody has Owen in the ropes working over his leg, sort of pushing the leg against the ropes as a, a dastardly heel move. And Owen very, very slowly lifts up his leg to push Brody over the top rope. Yeah. And that's, I don't think I've seen that before. And I, I actually loved it. It's a very yeah, stupid yeah. spot that worked very well. Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely. I, 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 totally, I totally agree. Yeah, there was, like, this is the thing with this sort of wrestling, like, this sort of generation is that, that you just get stuff you've never, ever seen in your wildest dreams. And not even in like random matches like this, you'll just see stuff you've never seen before, and it will just kind of immediately spring out. Yeah, and I think that that spot in particular, it has the feel of a kind of established routine. It's not something yes. that is being presented as unusual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I just I have no memory of having having seen that. The other there's one move from Brody that I enjoyed, which is where it looks like he's going to go for a a kind of hangman's neck breaker and turns it into almost a kind of lifting backbreaker with a stranglehold. Yeah, now, I can't remember where I've seen that before, but, yeah, that's... that. I really like that. It looks horrific. I'm not going to lie, but, um, yeah, it looks it looks really good, that. Yeah, I think that's, that's the only... the only move from Brody that I was... that I would say I was impressed by. <laughs> I mean, fair play, you, 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 you give him... you've got to have at least I one. I think we're, we are, we're being quite harsh to Colonel Brody. The match isn't terrible. It's really not. It, it's still a good match. I think like this is still far, far better than 95% of stuff that you would get on WWE. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a perfectly functional match that kind of does, does what it needs to do. And that's what all I want from wrestling at this point, just a perfectly functional match. I don't need 18 minutes of just, you know, good wrestling. No, I just, I just, this is absolutely fine. Like you, I think the easiest way to explain it is you know how you know sometimes you, you could go and have like a fancy meal and you just kind of want toast. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're you're very happy with toast. Toast is great. Now you know I'm sure there's going to be tons and tons of stuff you can have that is better than toast, but toast is still good. Like you know it, it, it you know it's very good. Um. So yeah, it's definitely it's a perfectly functional match. Um. It's very good. The finish. Um, saw Brody slam Owen head first into the post and then he ran into the ring at 9 for the count out and what is uh, everyone's favourite finish yeah. on WWE yeah. games uh, <laughs> I think WCW versus the world specifically, I remember John Pollock this is this is now known as the John Pollock finish because he famously always used to talk about how in WCW versus the world he would play against his friends and do this in every single <laughs> match to win, and he hated him for it. So yeah, the John Pollock finish reared its ugly head um, in this match. Yeah, but yeah, I, I sorry. What I what I have in my notes about the finish is just the words "fucking abrupt," because it does kind of come out of nowhere. I know earlier in the match they established how countouts work. They had um, Brody tease 
getting counted out and getting back in the ring at the last second. But this is a brawl outside the ring which doesn't fit the pace of the match in the slightest. And then probably the quickest 10-count finish I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, this is, like, total heel ref. Um, you know, like, if you've got a, um, a, like a special ref in a match and you just totally, like, go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, just to kind of count someone out. That that's what this is. It was it was quite it was quite rid- uh, ridiculous how fast yeah. it was. And again, not knowing the context in which this match sits, it's difficult to say how well the finish worked. But watching the match in on its own, it does just come out of nowhere. Oh yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, no, I, I I totally agree. But um, yeah, any other overriding thoughts about this match you wanted to mention? Um, I think we've more or less covered everything and been probably a little harsher to Colonel Brody than he deserved because I think he was a a perfectly perfectly well-rounded, solid wrestler in the, the British heel mould. It was that very classic sort of bruiser against a younger, more technically proficient wrestler that you used to see a lot in, in the world of sport days. Oh, yeah, this is bread and butter stuff. Like, absolutely, this is, you know... This is, and the thing is, is like people ask, like we say that Colonel Brody, you know, he, he clearly wasn't as good as Owen Hart. I, I'd wager that there's a lot of wrestlers nowadays who maybe, you know, more. Or, I don't want. I don't want to say work crazy. You know what I mean? Like you know, they're more indie darlings that probably are less skilled than Colonel Brody. But the whole point is, is that he he has. You know that this is his role. This is what absolutely. he has to do. He does exactly yeah. what he needs to do in that match. Yeah, absolutely, um, definitely. Um, that's fine. Okay, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll move on to um, our second match. But before that, um, we'll have some adverts. Every week, NEC Transworld Sports circles the globe to bring you all the biggest sports stories, all the top events, every sport from every angle. News, results, rankings, profiles of the top personalities, interviews with the men and women that matter, features from right around the world. The next edition of NEC Transworld Sport is tonight at 8, 7 UK on Eurosport. New from KTEL, Dilematic Mark IV, the all-new kitchen appliance that slices, dices and shreds in seconds. Simply turn the dial, slice carrots and cheese for great party snacks or delicious salads. Turn the dial, dicing onions is always a chore. Now dice onions the easy way without tears. Turn the dial, slice celery for soup or cucumber for salads in just a few seconds. Slice onions without fuss for perfect onion rings or hamburger toppings. Turn the dial, adjust the blade for thick slices, and in just a few strokes, you'll have fresh, perfect-cut chips for the whole family. And that's not all. Turn the dial again and strip corn off the cob in just one stroke, simply and easily. Turn the dial once more, and now shred cabbage for that perfect coleslaw. Dilematic Mark IV is not available in any stores, so stand by to make a note of how to order. Dynamatic Mark IV comes complete with safety guide and instructions, and ordering is easy. Call us now on this number, and your Dynamatic Mark IV will be on its way.
Dynamatic Mark IV comes with a full money-back guarantee. Order Dynamatic Mark IV by phone now. The St. Melian Golf Course in Cornwall is the venue for the 1991 B&H International. Built by the legendary Jack Nicklaus, it's a tremendous test for the players of the Volvo European Tour. Last year, Ola Tharbal took the trophy with Woosnam only one shot behind. Watch what happens this year. The first of three days coverage commences Friday afternoon at 4.30, 3.30 UK on Eurosport. Make a May Day with Eurosport. Motor racing, the Monaco Grand Prix Live, plus the German Rally and Touring Car Championships. Ice hockey, the climax of the World Championships in Finland. Football, the final of the three European club competitions, plus all the important European Championship matches. Tennis, the Italian, French and German Open Championships, plus numerous top tournaments. Boxing, the European Amateur Championships, plus super bouts and live title fights on ringside. Motorcycling, the Italian, Spanish and German Grand Prix, all live. Golf, the Volvo PGA Championship and the British Masters, live. Athletics, Grand Prix action from Sao Paulo and San Jose. So make a May date with Eurosport. Welcome back to episode one of the Puro Trash uh, podcast. This match is from December 1990, and it is from Bremen. Uh, it's part of one of the okay. CWA tours. Well, Oreg Williams says it's from Bremen. You know, I- I'm more inclined to believe him this time, but, you know. <laughs> Fit Finlay versus Mili Zerno from Croatia. So, Pat, Fit Finlay, what now, a boy. Oh, Finlay is, by a wide margin, one of my all-time favourites. Absolutely. So here's someone that any point in his career you're guaranteed a match worth watching. I just I cannot say enough good things about Fit. It's it's very much in the mold of like your Jushin Laggers. You can put him with anybody, and he will have he will bring his own match to it, and it'll be really good. I mean, uh, fans of the 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 DVD VR boards will know about the infamous gargantuan WCW Seaside thread. <laughs> Uh, where it's just all matches from like Saturday night and worldwide and stuff like that, and every like couple of times it'll be here's another one that Fit Finlay had. Here's Fit Finlay against like, some sixteen year old power plant rookie, yeah. absolutely mullering him, <laughs> or like he'll turn up against El Dandy and have like a four minute match. It's like better than most stuff that you would get in like various pseudo promotions these days, are, like twenty five minutes long. I, I'm going to go out on a very, very small limb and say, I think Fit Finlay is the only person to have wrestled both Big Daddy and Asuka. Oh, no. When did Finlay uh, wrestle Asuka? I'm sure they had a match in, um, was it Smash, to Jerry's old promotion? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. that is, that's got to be a very good shout. Because I can't think of anyone. I can't imagine why anyone else would. <laughs> Yeah, the only person I could think of that would come maybe even close would maybe be Sayama. But even oh, then... yeah. I've, no, I mean, Sayama definitely tagged with Big Daddy. I can't imagine he's ever wrestled... Wrestled him. Nor, nor do I think he's ever been in a match with Asuka. Yeah. Um, until we get some, some sort of, like, 
mad giant haystacks versus a three-year-old canner. <laughs> um, fan cam from like you know grats um, in like a tent. Um, I think well, I, I think you can probably be safe in that assertion. And so yeah, um, Mila Zerno is um, from Croatia. They mentioned at the time that he is European Tag Team Champion. I mean. That like a European Tag Team Champion is literally a title made up for Eurosport. I don't yes. think it's so yeah, the belts. They I, don't. I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that championship exists. He no. He was um, a CWA Tag Team Champion with Franz Schumann. Um, okay. I think it was a lot later though. I think it was more like ninety three, ninety four. But I know that him and Franz Schumann. I believe they had some sort of tag ring. They certainly tagged together and stuff. Like okay. That. I mean, you're already. You're a step above me here in knowing anything at all about Milo Zerno. Well, see... Before this match, he was a complete unknown to me. This, this is this is the thing, um, and this will come up probably very, very, very uh, regularly. I uh, used to uh, run an EFED, and it was European-based, and it was like through the 90s. So I, I ran through all of the European, you know... Oh, I see. So like Milo Zerno, I, I had him. I, I can't remember if he won a title. I can't remember. But um, him and Franz Schumann, they, they definitely they had a run. I remember I remember I had him face Volkan. That was, I think that was his biggest match. <laughs> Volkan. Uh, you, but yeah, like, Milo Zerno, I've watched like, a couple of things when I, I was doing stuff for that. But yeah, he's... I, 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 I really enjoyed him in this match. Like, Oh, he's he's fantastic. He, he is so good. And like, it, it's a real shame that you've got people like this and like Franz Van Boyton and stuff like that where you think, you know how you had your WCW where you had all the British guys come in, you know, your Smileys, your Adams, and yeah. all that. Imagine if they just get these guys in as well. Like, imagine some of the stuff you'd have got if you'd have like Milos Unknown and like Van Boyton and stuff. Because they were all still going up until like the late 90s and stuff like that. I think yeah, and th- there's so much in here that you know Zerno up against even some of the Lucia guys in in WCW would have been so interesting. Oh yeah, and even like some of the uh, like uh, some of the pure guys. I, I can imagine like an Ultimo Dragon or something like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I did I did do a, a a very quick scan of Cage Match and a couple of other sites to see to get a measure of who Mile Zerno was and he did he does seem to have had a run in New Japan. Yeah, yeah, I think him and I think him and Schumann maybe I think around about the time when Vader I think like you had like Vader and you had um oh what's his name? Like Tenzan and stuff like that and Kojima, they were all Well they were working working CWA quite a lot, yeah. So I think I think that would that would maybe make sense. I'm sure like Regal worked out around about that time as well. I think because uh, Regal did he not did he not face Hashimoto once? Am I making that up? He, def- he definitely worked a few New Japan matches. Um, whether he was there before stuff he did between them and WCW, I can't remember. But I think he may have been working Japan when W got in touch with him to bring him in in the first place. Or oh, I may be misremembering that. Yeah, that would maybe make sense because I seem to remember. Him t- I seem to remember him talking about that in his podcast about how he'd been like doing some insane look where he'd been like. He'd been in Japan. Oh no, I think he was in Germany and they gave him the the, the phone call. And then, like, he just nothing happened, and then he went to Japan, and then he came back, and he got the phone call again or whatever. So yeah, that that probably makes a bit of sense. Like the thing with Fit Finley here, and with anything, is that Fit Finley, he is well regarded as a bit of a roughhouse. I say a bit of a roughhouse. He's an absolute monster. Yeah. But he's not like your hardcore Hollies or your JBLs of the world who are just plain shit houses. He is he can be as technically proficient and he is very generous to people and he knows the the fine minutiae of 
how to get these sort of matches over and what he needs Absolutely. to Absolutely. He is what he's very, very good at, and he does so well here, is working an opponent lower on the pecking order than he is and making them look good enough to beat him. Yes, absolutely. Because you really got that essentialness in, in, in here that, that there are no... I mean, there was, there was some great babyface fire there. and um, Absolutely. I, I get the feeling with Finlay where it is, it is a bit of a respect thing whereby if he knows that you are there to work... And you're not, you know, you're not, you know, you know, you're going to take a beating or whatever. Like he, he will beat you up, but like if he knows that you're there to work and you're there to cooperate with him, he will cooperate with you, and he will Absolutely. get the best out of you. If you're not there to cooperate, and you're just there, you know. I think there's the the infamous story in the Regal podcast of the two fat guys he saw in a motorway service station, and they trained them to like be uh, to be daddy fodder to put against big. Oh, okay. And they took him to Finley's shed, and then they had him like. Uh, wrestled them and apparently they were just wailing and like just like absolutely crying and like you know bleeding from multiple orifices and just absolutely leathered the absolute hell out of them and they were never seen again and I think it was just kind of like these guys are kind of there to get a quick payday and he was just absolutely wasting them but I mean somebody like Neil Zerno he by no means was the unprofessionalness he could be very oh no absolutely not yeah, and yeah, with yeah. that, with that uh, discussion of Finley's reputation and the sort of, of worker that he was, I think it's worthwhile as taking a bit of a step back and acknowledging that he came to the ring to Belfast by Boney M. Yes, I was so delighted when I, hear, I heard, because I remember, it was, I think it was in WCW in 1996 when he came out to boat Belfast by Boney M. Boney M, who I love, by the way. I'm a big fan of Boney M, specifically the tune Belfast. But... It's such a, like, it, it just does not scan that this man who will, like, break um, journalist's fingers to prove no. a point no. comes out to Pony M. It was his entrance theme throughout his run in, in Germany. Yeah. Um, presumably for no reason other than it's called Belfast and Boney M are German. Yeah. That that makes it a lot of sense. Yeah, it was, I think my, my favorite one was was that Dave Taylor used to come out to ride on time by Black Box. <laughs> <laughs> was, this, was this was this Disco Dave Taylor? Disco Dave Taylor coming to ride on time yeah. by Black Box. Wow. I'm sure there's some uh, some um, things on YouTube um, of him coming. Out I'm sure in the in the in the in the aforementioned Terry Funk Fit Finley match, I have a feeling Terry Funk comes out to Born in the USA. Of course, of course he does. Which may, which may, have, may have just been stock entrance music for any American wrestler working Germany. Well, I mean, there's there's an interesting point here. Then that this is like, um, uh, this is like a, a televised product. This isn't a fan cam or anything like that. As we all know, copyright didn't exist in the nineties. Certainly not in Bremen. No, certainly not in Bremen. I mean, this was. I mean, it's not like this was. You know. Grampian TV up in Aberdeen, you know, there's only a couple of people that are going to see us, like BBC Jersey or something like that. This is Eurosport yes. in like 25 different countries. And you have to think that maybe Boney M's agent is sitting down watching a bit of skiing, and then suddenly, you know, the wrestling comes out, oh, I'll, I'll watch the wrestling, and suddenly Belfast, <laughs> Belfast, I, I could make some money here. It's just so fortunate that um, Otto Vance, you know, never 
Like, you know, Bonnie Evans' like, legal team never came in contact with CWA Wrestling because, my God, it would have been a legal minefield. Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out time-wise, but the the guy behind Bonnie M went on to be the brains behind Millie Vanilli. And I was, I'm wondering if in 1990 he might have been a little too busy to be faffing yeah, about it, with it, Otto Vars. Uh, of course. And do you know who uh, Millie Vanilli's bodyguard was? Uh, Vampiro. Oh, no. this would they, they won a Grammy in 1990. So, yeah, you're probably right. He's too busy schmoozing at the Grammys to, <laughs> to care um, about whether or not you know Belfast is being used in, on Eurosport. Maybe it's like, have you seen the, the Rodriguez documentary, Searching for Sugar Man, in which... Uh, Rodriguez was kind of unknown in America, but his one or two albums that he'd recorded that completely oh, flopped I know the one you're talking were about. Yeah, huge, yeah, yeah. huge hits in South Africa, but you never saw any of the money from them, even though he could, after apartheid, could go over there and sell out huge, huge stadiums because there's a line in the documentary where someone says you know, every house had Elvis's greatest hits, Bridge Over Troubled Water and the first Rodriguez album. Colonel Brody and Oreg Williams showing disdain as Rodriguez, yes. you know, smashes apartheid. And this is it. I'm, I'm wondering if this is Oreg Williams and Colonel Brody sneaking some bony M bootlegs <laughs> into the Euro, into the Eurosport broadcasting office. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, concept that doesn't make a lot of sense because this show is in the same country that Bony M are from. We should maybe talk about this wrestling match. That would help, wouldn't it? It's very, well, very good. It's very, very good. I mean, straight away, there's an amazing arm rock, uh, reverse arm lock, arm drag. Thing. Yes, it's about, it's like, it's it's about two minutes drag. in. Yeah, it's like an arm drag, but like usually when you do an arm drag, they'll pull them down and they'll do like a forward roll onto onto their back to do to do the arm drag if you know if you know what I yes, mean. Yes. Yeah. Whereas if this is behind in sort of an, a hammerlock position. Yeah, he travels around been, the back of, of Finlay. It's as if he's been like rolled up or something like that, but he's not been rolled up. It's, it's so hard to describe. But and can I tell you can I tell it. you what my first my instant reaction to seeing that spot was? What? I paused the match, got on Twitter and tweeted at Mike Quackenbush to ask him if he'd seen it before. <laughs> I'm incredible because if I if I like turn on a Shikara on demand show and see this move in like six months, <laughs> we'll, we'll know we'll know we'll know who to blame. But that was um, you know, for, again. This is a match from from 1990, and this is a spot that the first person who came to mind was Mike Quackenbush. I just thought if I've ever seen that before, and I'm not convinced that I have, it's only through Quack. And he and maybe not even on a show, maybe at a seminar, when he's specifically showing, oh, here are some weird arm drags and snapmares that you will never use in a match because no one ever does them. Yeah, but like at some point, they'll like a wrestler will panic, like Hiracon will panic or something like that, Hiracon. and then just pull out, will just pull out this weird. Do you, do you know who Hiracon was? It, it was it was it Jonathan Gresham? Yeah. I just pulled a name at Mars there, but I thought Hiracom was the first one that came up. Um, I mean, he's no Hermit Crab. I absolutely. No, uh, oh, but who is? Who is? I know, but Hermit Crab obviously can't do these sort of things with the pincers. It's just uh, no, of course it's not. Just too yeah. much a, uh, a hassle. Ah, no, there's a there, there's a match I'd like to see: Fit Finlay versus Hermit Crab. <laughs> I remember Fit Finlay apparently um, walked out on a show he didn't name, but I would guess could have been Shakara. 
because people did a slow motion spot. <laughs> he really, yeah, he he hated it. I mean, and this is if you had to take a punt as to which show did Finn Finley walk out for having a slow motion spot, I think everyone and their grand would say, "Was it a Shikara show?" I would, I would guess. But this is Fit Finley, who I once saw an interview with him where he was quizzed on how he felt about having Hornswoggle associated with him in WWE. And they definitely go in assuming it's something he begrudgingly put up with. And he says, no, I always wanted a leprechaun. I wanted to do it in WCW, only I wanted him to be invisible. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's one of these, like, it's one of these things where it's like, Somebody who's is very straight laced and stuff like that, but they have oddly peculiar things where, like, you would never guess. But like, yeah, like, yeah, I know. I don't know that Fit Finley didn't have an invisible leprechaun sidekick well, in WCW. You see, see, when you mention this, I'm sure there was a leprechaun in WCW. There was Braun the Leprechaun in the Dungeon of Doom, the greatest stable of all time. Yeah, of course, yes. And um, why was Fit Finley? In- Can you imagine Fit Finley in the Dungeon of Doom? <laughs> I really want that. I, 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 I'd love to see Fit Finley just in like a gauntlet against the Dungeon of Doom, like all of them, <laughs> like Zeus, uh, the you know the Ultimate Solution, the lot. But um, but oh, yeah, the that, Ultimate like, Solution. That that arm drag straight away. I knew I was in for a good one. Oric Williams, keen a party sympathizer that he is, um, says that uh, Fit Finley knows. A million holes. He does not a thousand holds. He knows a, a million holds. He specifically says it's not a thousand holds. It's a million holds. And I don't doubt him. Like, there's got to be holes that he's made up. Like, have you, have, have you ever been in, like, a punk band? And, like, you'll have a practice. Because I used to be in a D-beat band, you know, like, Discharge. We, I was in yeah. a D-beat band. And we used to record, we used to write, like, 16 songs a practice and forget them all. So like you know, it'd just be like you would know it go, but we couldn't actually remember anything else about it apart from that. So we'd write a song where this is great, this is our favourite song, and then like three hours later have forgotten it. I feel that Fit Finlay does that with holds, where he makes a hold up. Yeah, I'll use this in a match, and then like three pints of Beamish later, he's like, ah. I can't remember what it is. Oh man, no, no, it's gone. It's gone. I've but, I've heard stories of Skyder, the Luchador, spending three hours in the ring before a show because he wouldn't get out of the ring until he'd invented a pin that he hadn't used before. As <laughs> as like you, you'd love just to see like how old is Skyder? He's he's like sort of early two thousands, isn't he, or is he a bit older? Um, that's sort of. When he became known to me, um, mm. I imagine he was um, head trainer for Toriumon. Right, yeah, so he was born in 1964, so he'd have been about 35. So, like, I, I wish he, I, I he would have, like, be, like, he would have been really perfect in this. I think he'd have been great in this. Absolutely. Oh, there, there was another one, there was a Chinlock as well. Now, Chinlocks, you know, Chinlocks have, have, have got a stigma these days. The, the Baron Corbins, the Jinder Mahals of the world yeah. have totally ruined Chinlocks. But in, in this match, what a Chinlock from Finlay. He puts it on. He puts it on and then um, uh, Zerno does the, the standard snap me over over his shoulder to kind of, you know, uh, yes. bring yeah. over. And Finlay keeps a hold of the Chinlock. So Zerno just goes yeah. with him and he's and still this in the is, Chinlock. This... 
this is something Finley does throughout the match. Oh, and it's he wonderful. does it with a with a, a single leg Boston Crab later on, which is the most painful looking I've ever seen. Oh, that old my word! Have you he ever seen? Really, the, really lays it in. Uh, have you ever seen the is it Norman Smiley versus Dean Malenko match from like Saturday Night WCW, where it's, it's similar to that old Daniel Bryan uh, Cesaro match where they they just had a headlock. Yeah. And like I think it, I, I want to say is is it Smiley puts the headlock on Malenko, and the entire match is just that it's just Malenko getting out of the headlock, Smiley putting it back on, Smiley you know like Malenko reversing out of it and then Smiley immediately putting it back in. I think it's, it's yeah. one way or the other, but like the entire match is based around this about chin locks and headlocks. A bit yeah, and that's that's true with, with the chin lock from Finlay. The the half Boston later on is. It looks so painful to begin with, and then every time it looks like Zerno's getting out of it, Finley's just held on, and it's that sort of respect for a hold is something I love. It's it's an absolute believable absolutely, finish. but also it's something so far away from. And I don't want to keep ragging on modern wrestling because so much of it is great, but there's a lot of um, seeing moves as as if they are kind of isolated. Holds. Not even transitional, it, it, it's something that are sort of isolated units. It's like you're playing the video game and you press left and circle to do a half Boston Crab. And then once the half Boston Crab's done, you do your next move. And it, it, it's very surprising that you, like, you would... Like, now, because like, you have people like Finlay and Smiley and Regal and Birchai and stuff like that who did all these sort of things... It's 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 very not not interesting. You know what I mean? Like you would have expected maybe some of that to rub off. I know Smiley's done. Yeah, like, I mean, they're, know, yeah, they're the yeah they're the road agents. They're the trainers. They're the producers yeah. and so on. And also, there's the influence of of UFC and MMA in general. You'd think would lean more towards mm. the struggle in yeah. and out of holds. And you've seen it in Absolutely. in some respects where it's it's much rarer now than it used to be in wrestling to see someone really hold out in a submission for a long time before they tap. Yeah, yeah. Because UFC Absolutely. has kind of taught people that that's not how submissions work. That you don't fight against the pain until you can't handle it anymore. You tap early or you get your arm broken. But it hasn't gone the other way yet of kind of informing the way you get in and out of holds so much. They're still seen as these these isolated moves rather than, I say, Finley wrestles here where... Zerno might turn over to get out of the crab, but Finley still holds on to the ankle and manages to turn it into a heel hook or whatever the next hold is. Exactly, because as well as that, it's not even necessarily the, as you're saying about the struggle and stuff like that, but as well as, as much as the person putting the hold on, applying the pressure and continuing to have it on, Zerno as well, it was the leg locks. Like he was doing like, you know, Shinjiro Watani face washes. Oh, with absolutely, his boot, yeah. Like, and he looked... Awful. It looks like they look brutal. Like, like prop, like proper connection. Like nose moving, boots to the face yeah. just to get out of it because that you know that if you were in that sort of thing, that's the sort of stuff you would be doing. Yeah. If somebody did that yeah. to you in real life, you would absolutely be kicking their head off. And you mentioned earlier about the the babyface fire from Zerno in this match, and that really comes out of this this hold where. The story of the match is what Finley was great at at this time in his career of the kind of more experienced bully heavyweight against a, a lighter, faster opponent. He did this sort of match against Johnny Saint and against Marty Jones. And uh, and Zerno is very reminiscent of a, a Marty Jones or a Steve Gray in a lot of ways. 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah, he's definitely in that sort of mould, like, yeah, definitely. Um, but no, Finlay absolutely dissects the leg here. He, he totally rips it apart, and it's, it's glorious to see. And there is a point later on where Finlay goes back to that hold, mm. and Zerno manages to escape from it. And it's at that point that Finlay completely snaps. And it's the bell's yeah. rung for the end of the round, and he just keeps laying into Zerno. And I think it's the first time anyone really starts throwing strikes in this match. And I love the frustration yeah. that the hold that's been working so well for him suddenly doesn't, that Zono's got the better of him and it just he just loses it because of that. And off the back of that into the next round, that's when Zerno really fires up and he starts throwing forearms and kicks. And I love that, that a wrestler has to have exhausted wrestling before they start throwing strikes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like even just like the, the use of rounds here, because we don't have any rounds in the Owen Hart Colonel Brody match. Um yeah, just like the, the use of rounds in, in this match, like I thought it was really really effectively done. Whereby, you know, you at first at first you had the first round and then the second round I believe that's when um Finley snapped. So like basically he attacks him during the intermission that's in the right. round. And, and he really says something and keeps going for the leg. So to say, well, you got it the hold, but you know, I'm just going to absolutely destroy your leg so that you you can't use it. So the next time I put it on, it will work. And like this is one of those things where like it, it's not used very often anymore. Rounds and it's so it can be so effective. Like absolutely, it's it's in a lot of ways it makes structuring a match around the psychology, if anything, even easier because there are delineated points where you can change the story. Where if you have... If you want to go with a basic formula of having a baby face on top, then the heel, then the baby face, then the heel, kind of back and forth, you've got yeah. these demarcated moments at which you can visibly make Just that shift. Yeah. Because you, you, you can always pull the old trick of, like, you know, the, the Joshi drop kick, you know, for, uh, the intro of a match where they'll just run and just absolutely yeah. nail someone with a drop. You can always do stuff like that and kind of reset and totally change the momentum. Whereas it, I, I, in a, in a non-round match, you kind of have to work your way out. Yeah, of it, you, so you have to go the long way around to get there. Yeah, and, like, there, there's kind of moments where you... You know, like if you were getting beaten down so much, you would want a breather. If you know what I mean, you couldn't immediately just snap out of it and just go. You obviously got your second win and stuff like that, but the fact that they have a breather where they can take a moment to take stock and kind of reconcile yeah. themselves and then come back, it's a it's a very good uh, narrative tool. And like even then, like the problem is as well like, rounds is that you do sometimes. I think nowadays, um, if there is rounds, there can be that tendency of you know, uh, uh, the stock form where we'll go the, the eight rounds, the two or three falls and stuff like that, whereby there, there, there's that sort of, where you, you can use it as a narrative, but it can also be a bit of a crutch, yeah. where you can fall back yeah. in rounds and stuff like that. Finlay's, I know in this one, not using this as a crutch. They they, they used it really, really well and, and timed it, you know, exquisitely, the, the comebacks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and I think when you're, when you're working wrestlers and audiences that are familiar with with the round system being the norm it must be far less tempting to fall back on doing your kind of exchanging falls or whatever i'm not yeah entirely sure what the rule system they're using here is because it i think it's still only one fall 
was there wasn't even a standing ten count in this because it was a standing ten count in the Owen Brody yeah. match. Because I remember at one point where that's what it was when Owen Brody was choking him and he was down. The referee turned around and said, "I'm not counting." Yes, you, yeah. Which is a great piece of, you know, like play, playing the advantage, so to speak, in football, whereby like somebody has fouled, but the, their team still has a ball and they're able to go on. They'll play the they'll play the advantage, yeah. and it's kind of with with that and. You didn't really get that in this match, where I don't think there was many standing ten counts at all. Uh, none, none that I noticed. No. Yeah, this when Zuno comes back, it's it is it, some it's some fire, and the crowd are really into it. You also get air horns at this yes. point. I, I loved air horns, it, but it felt like a proper sporting atmosphere. Absolutely, you know yeah. what I mean? Like a, it didn't feel like your your normal your normal wrestling crowd. It was no. a proper. These people have came here for sporting competition. Yeah. And I, I don't, again, I don't really know the context of this match specifically, but surely in German wrestling around the time, you'd be working the same venue multiple times a week sometimes. So to be able to yeah. get that. Oh, no, they, they would set up like a carnival yeah. tent and like, so, and then just work like 16 days there. So yeah, if yeah. that falls under that, this, that kind of environment where this is, you know, this may well be a crowd that have seen a week's worth of wrestling already. And yeah. you're able to get that kind of atmosphere and that kind of heat, which I think does come from the the sporting atmosphere as much as anything. However, Zuno makes a, a, a commits a cardinal sin when he turns his back on yes. Finlay to argue with the referee and gets absolutely annihilated by Finlay for it. <laughs> is it, it's quite it's quite hilarious. Um, just because you knew the second he turned before Finlay even did, you like, oh yeah. no, this is not going to be good. And Zerno, Zerno, for all his kind of white meat baby faceness, I think he comes. He does get a few public warnings in this one. He does, yeah. yeah. And this is another thing, like, uh, and it's not. I don't want to be all shades of grey about it, but the thing is, is that like in the context of like a sporting occasion, being good doesn't necessarily always mean that you're clean cut. You're always, you know, accepting of the referee. The whole point is that you're able to stand up. And you know, argue a decision. If yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, whereas, like you know, you you don't really get referees that much. You'll get now you, where um, you know, like if if I if I face usually does it, it's like you know the usual you know uh, you know three fingers up you know going oh I, I got him ref oh, oh okay then. But with this, it's always willing to stand his ground and say no, this is the yeah. correct decision. This yeah. is what it should be. Which I really like because yeah, like. You know, people do that in sport as well. Like, you know, like, you know, nice people will contest decisions. Of course. If they feel that it's wrong. Yeah. And it comes at a point in the match when Zerno is, he's fired up, he's been pushed and he's angry and he's fighting back a lot more than he had been earlier on. So it, it really, it feels like someone who's getting carried away by emotion and then that's what costs him. Yeah, because, I mean, like, he gets booked for not um, breaking in the ropes. So I think, like, uh, Finlay holds onto the ropes and then he grabs him by the legs and, like, and yanks him off the ropes. And he, and he, get, he gets a yellow card for that. Um, and he's and he gets very mouthy with the referee. He was very lucky he didn't get a second yellow for dissent. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> of course, he gets murdered by Finlay instead. So, yes. you know. <laughs> you know, I suppose that's just as good as a second yellow. She's getting absolutely hammered by Finley. <laughs> yeah, Finley also launches Zerno over the top into, onto the floor. Now, I was a bit confused by this because Oreg mentions in this, and I think the referees aren't happy with this. I believe throwing him over the top 
it's not a disqualification, but it's grounds for a public warning if you're doing it a bit. Like, it's seen as ungentlemanly conduct, so to speak. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, so, like, because um, they do it a couple of times in here, and it's it, it's quite funny, because they do make a point of it being, like, you know, frowned upon, but they still do it anyway. Yeah, and then they go outside, and, like, you obviously you get Princess Paula. Now, Princess Paula, it's Princess Paula Finley's, like, actual wife. They were married, yeah. They were married, right, okay, yeah, yeah. I think... Not not for much longer after this point, I think. So I'm sure. Right. I think Finley's second wife was someone he met while wrestling in Germany. Right. Okay, that would make sense then. Okay. But as I, as as is alarmingly common with wrestlers in Germany. Yes, absolutely. I love Princess Paula here, and I love I love the fact that she she wasn't afraid to absolutely nail her her husband with a stick. No. no. Like, and Paula, by all accounts, was incredibly tough. Yeah. I've actually yeah. never seen I don't know how much footage there is of her as a wrestler. I'm only really familiar with her as, as Finley's ballet. But it was rare that you saw her get physically involved in World of Sport. I think they must have shied away from it. Whereas here, yeah, she's it's a much more active role. And it's like it, it's kind of that way where if if you have a, a friend or a close colleague or like, you know, a partner or whatever you're you're happy to take it if you know what I mean like you know they can hit you as hard as you like because you of know course, yeah. you have that understanding and stuff like that and it clearly came across here the one point I noticed here as well is that this was sponsored by Nissan yes yeah on the ring posts and I don't know if it's like a dealer you know like um Taggart's of like Bremen um doing like a Nissan dealer <laughs> or like you know Hans Vardy or something like that but uh but yeah sponsored by Nissan I thought that's, that's quite big budget for like a car it is it, yeah isn't it it's like um, I remember we were watching Raw a wee while ago, and um, they had Novartis, the pharmaceutical company, Big Pharma, sponsoring Raw. I was like, <laughs> the hell is going? And my, and my my wife works in the pharmaceutical game, so we were sitting watching Raw. And she's like, is that Novartis? Like, yeah, is it the pharmaceutical company. And then they're like, Novartis, um, you know, leading pharmaceutical pharmaceutical research. And here we're like, why the fuck is Big Pharma? You know, sponsoring Raw, that's it's very strange, but, you know. Uh, well, I think um, for legal reasons, we can't discuss why Big Pharma would sponsor the uh, WWE. Exactly, yeah, they're trying to shut us down. If there's only one episode of this, you know why. It's Big Pharma's fault. Um, Big Pharma or, or Oryx Boys. Yes, exactly. Round five, and Zerno is absolutely ganting for it. He, he is ready to go. He is, he, he senses he's on the precipice of a win here, and, he, yeah, and he's that, not and... waiting for the bell. And that accidental hit from Paula to Finley has given Zerno an opening here as well. Yeah, and I think you can see the visible frustration where he has this opening and he has to wait a minute before yeah. he can take the opening because you know because of the the, the rounds. Um, he, he absolutely runs over him and drop kicks him to the floor for another incredible pratfall. Yes, but also is it around this point that there is a what I was convinced was going to be a drop kick but turns into a head scissors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he does like two head scissors that wear drop kicks and turn into head scissors and yeah. then drop kicks him over the top. Uh, Finley also wipes out a table um, at this yes. point. He's at a commentary table, he just absolutely just launches it away just out of frustration, which I always love to see. And then, like, Finley came back with some awful, awful knees to the face. Oh, they're like, gorgeous, but they are. Oh, man, vicious. I would not be taking them. I, um, no. like, you see Triple H do the knee to the face. And you're like, you know, fair enough. Finlay is on another realm of yeah. like knees to the mush. 
Like Although I think it's slightly before the high knees from Finley, I think, where we get an inc- another incredible move from Zerno, where they do the whole international routine, mm-hmm. but with the hip toss at the end of it, it's this combined hip toss leg trip where Zerno ends up with a lateral press on Finlay. Yeah. And, and it's it one single motion, and it's absolutely... It's so smooth and so impressive. I, I would I, like, I would absolutely love to watch these sort of matches. Like you mentioned Quack before. I feel really that's it. That's a sort of holy grail sort of wrestling experience would be to sit and watch stuff like this with like Quack and Chris Hero and Colt Cabana. Like absolutely. proper students of the game who have just, you know, um, inhaled all of this and just kind of... Because you'd be so tempted... To do it, I, if I was a wrestler, I'd absolutely just been nicking moves off CWA. Like, oh, absolutely! All, all I think time. you know if you want to steal from someone, steal from matches that no one watches, steal from promotions and territories that most people haven't seen. Yeah, because don't, don't do the burning hammer, like you know exactly. Kabashi did the burning hammer, and it was great, and we all loved it. You don't need to do the burning hammer. You're not Kabashi. Stuff like this, you know. There's there's so much out there. Whether it's looking into different countries, different promotions, or just further back in time to find spots that don't happen anymore and routines that no one uses that may as well be new if you did them now. If some indie darling had busted out that exact spot. If Zach Super Junior was in the New Japan Cup against, like, you know, like Yoshihashi or something and pulled this out, people would be absolutely agog. Absolutely. And, and it's I... just in this random tent match in Eurosport. <laughs> <laughs> as well as that with the knees, even as well, speaking of incredible moves you never see, Finley hits two knees, right? And he goes for a third knee, and Zerno somehow catches him at midair and turns it into a spine buster. And it looked incredible. It looked yeah. so good. And that was, there was at least a good like, 10, 15 moves you could just nick out of this. That no yeah, one and has the, ever the, seen. There were a few points where I was yeah, literally jumping out of my seat watching this. And then by the end of it, just left sort of sad that Zerno wasn't bigger than he was. Yeah, I've come yeah. out of this absolutely loving him and being annoyed that there isn't more to go out there and find. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't like push him to the moon in my e-fed now, to be honest. <laughs> but he, he should have been unified champion. Yeah, he, he's, uh, Zerno, um, as well as that, there's another moment as well where he does a drop kick and I think Finlay moves out of the way and he does his back in, which is such a simplistic thing. Yeah. Like, But it's done so well. Like, it's just a drop kick and he lands in his back and you think, well, you know, you land in your back. It, you know, statistically, law of averages says at some point you're going to hit it and you're going to, like, you know, you know, dink your back a bit. I remember I fell on the pavement in December and absolutely did my back in. Yeah. And I, 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 I fully like it was. It was a proper bump because you know, arms out stuff like that. I, you know, and even I like did my back and shoulder, and it's like, you know, if you are an actual human being, that that's going to happen. Yeah, and 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 func- func- functionally, it's. We joked earlier about Randy Orton doing in his shoulder taking out the bins. Yeah. But it's it's the mundane movements that are going to cause those injuries because you're not prepping your body for it. Yeah, absolutely. And take it, missing a drop kick, psych- psychologically as a wrestler, you're not preparing for the bump that you would be if you were taking a move from someone. You're expecting this might sound silly. You're expecting the cushion. 
exactly. of the person, if you know what I mean. Like you're expecting to be stopped by the by the person, you know, you'll yeah. hit them and it'll kind of stop your momentum a little bit so when you go down. Exactly. You're, you're so within prepared. within the kind of kayfabe logic of the match, missing and then taking that landing is gonna do as much, if not more, damage than if you'd been hit with a, a body slam or a spine buster because yeah. you've not been able to brace yourself. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And as well as that, like, when, you, when they move out of the way, I think the thing is, when you do a drop kick, you kind of move your, your legs together and kind of join them together. So you've got this set rigid, you've got a rigid motion on your legs. You're not even a webcam when I'm sitting here doing stuff and all that, but <laughs> um, it's like this sort of rigid motion where your legs are kind of welded together, like kind yeah. of a 1990s WWF action figure. But when you're when, when, when you, you miss it, you're not doing that because you're not you're not getting the bounce back and your legs are more likely to waver and stuff like that. So yeah, it is, you're going to be all over the shop because you're not expecting it. Absolutely. Um, of course, Finlay being the absolute sadist that he is, just just goes to town in the back. And I think he tries to go for a pin, but the the bell goes for the round at that time, and he looks he looks mad, very yeah. mad. Finlay, yeah, he takes him to the floor, and off. This this is this is pretty much the finish. Oh, we get the uh, the Trent Seven special of him uh, hitting the ring oh, no, post. No, but like this is this is an old spot. I mean, I think LA Park did this uh, a couple of months ago um, in MLW against like the rigging or for the MLW like the the rigging and stuff. Like that. he he he's done this like everyone. This is a very you know it's a bit of a rote spot these days. Yeah, it's but, usually usually would be a missed chop. A knife yeah, edge chop yeah. against against the the ring post. Here it's it's not that. It's a it's a it's a full on it's a full on punch. As in th- this this ring post has aggrieved him. Like this <laughs> ring post has said things about Paula, and he's not happy. It reminded me. I remember once I was at a bus stop and I was sitting next to two Neds. Do you know Do you know what Neds are? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I was sitting next to two Neds and they were they were really drunk and they were sitting drinking and all that. And there's there's one at the bus shelter with like an advertisement and. Hey, this really drunk Ned, he, he sort of cries, oh, I bet I, I, I can hit that and I won't, I won't feel, I won't feel it. I'm like, I'm not hard. And he's probably like, no, you can't. I said, like, I can, it's only plastic, it won't hurt. And he's like, no, no, well, he says, no, it's just plastic, it won't hurt. He's like, right, do it then. And he did. And it was glass. <laughs> and I, he, he shattered his hand and it was, it, it felt like this, just this net, this net smashing, a, like full on punching a bus shelter, and then just breaking his hands and being covered in glass. It was, it was milder than this shot on this ring post. <laughs> it's it, incredible, and they, they, they do say, and I love this little piece of detail. Go, oh, finally, I have to go for an X-ray in the morning. Yes, you would. Yeah, you absolutely would. Like, but you don't think about it. You think, oh, wrestlers are just made of adamantium and, you know, they just regenerate, you know, overnight. No, this is really sore, guys. Like, you know, it's it, it's going to be like a, a stupid move like that. He is going to have to go to hospital, but he's, he's such a hard nut that he'll continue on with that. Yeah, but yeah, so this causes it. And then at that point, you're like, that's it. Zorno has this in the bag. This is done. Like, you know, there's no yeah, way and, that he's running this. And he, and he follows up by, by missing a knee drop quite quickly afterwards once they're back in the ring so it's it's kind of alling apart for Finley at this point and not and not really at, at Zerno's hand it's just Finley getting a little too aggressive a little too cocky and it's all yeah. sort of just starting to fall apart for him 
Yeah, absolutely. And then Zerno, um, sadly, uh, Zerno, uh, he goes up, I think goes for a crossbody. Yes. Yeah. And then Finlay, like, he doesn't even move out of the way. He just ducks yeah. it. And I love that. I love that fact that, like, you know, he could have moved out of the way or whatever. And no, he just goes underneath and he just flies over him. And then that's it. Crash and burn. And then Finlay hits a tombstone. And that's it. One, two, three. Yeah, the tombstone looked vile. Yes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Like, Finlay will just absolutely drop you in your neck. What thoughts on this match? I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm a huge Finlay fan, as I said earlier, and came away from this as a huge Melizerno fan. And a lot of that was probably as much on the strength of Finlay's performance putting him over throughout the match as on the little oh, bursts yeah, yeah. Of, of real greatness from Zerno here. Because for most of it, you could have slotted in really any kind of European lightweight or middleweight into Zerno's spot, and they'd have looked just as good. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. Same, but yeah, well, that's um, our, our first two matches done and dusted. Our next two matches, actually, that we're going to review, we've mentioned them already. Steve Regal. Oh, yes. They'll be taking on Colonel Brody, so we'll get another Colonel Brody match, which I think it'll be very fun to see him against Regal, because I think Regal could get some very workable stuff out of him. I think he, he, he that will be a, a good one. And as well as that, Steve Adonis versus Drew McDonald. Oh, wow. Honouring the great European referee tradition of wearing a kilt. <laughs> it's tra- traditional in France. Traditional in France. Saying that, I was at a Pro Wrestling Eve show with, um, not with, but Anton Decone showed up. Uh, they filmed <laughs> filmed a part of his, his latest TV special there. And he was wearing a kilt. But I mean, like, Antoine de Con literally did a, a show with Jean-Paul Gaultier. Like, he can get away with a kilt. Like, he, he's a very dashing man. But maybe maybe he chose to wear a kilt to dance with Session Moff Martina because of the great long-standing tradition in French wrestling of kilt wearing. I mean, like, if you're Antoine in the 90s, you know, in, in the brasseries of Paris, and, you, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting having a Gaulois... Um, with uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier and, you know, after a couple of pints of Cronenberg, you go home and stick on Eurosport. <laughs> and you've, you, you've seen, you know, Colonel Brody versus Owen Hart and you're like, you know what? I yeah. could rock this. Like, Apparently he did have a, a, a brief chat with one of the guys at Eve about French wrestling. Although I have to say, actually, that you've painted a lovely mental picture there. I, like, I, I, I would adore it. I mean, like, see in episode 14 when we get him <laughs> on and then he sues us for copyright infringement because we're using his theme tune. Um, I mean, it'll be absolute scenes. I, I absolutely adore this. Like, it's just it's just so good that, 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 that... By no means did we pick these matches because they were good. No, no. We, we're it was literally the first uh, two matches that Yeah, I mean, we're up. doing this playlist in order... No matter what it throws at us, so I think we've lucked out with the quality here. Absolutely, and yeah, it, 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 they were just wonderful. And like, I think it's just it's such a lost art with these sort of things. This this sort of wrestling, I'm I'm gonna sound like like a, a an old dinosaur at this point, but like even even when you see replicants of this, like people doing this sort of thing, like your WXWs. And like you know, your 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 British indie leotard guys, you know your James Masons of the world and stuff like that. You when you when you when you watch a, a a match like this, there's just something yeah. a little bit extra to it. And I can't tell you what it is. Maybe maybe it's just the fact that we're in front of three thousand people in France <laughs> with air horns, and maybe it is the fact that one of the wrestlers is an apartheid sympathizer. I don't- 
I don't know I don't if that's know. what's missing from from modern wrestling specifically. No, I mean, let, let's be honest. I don't think apartheid gimmicks is really something. There's probably plenty of apartheid sympathisers in modern wrestling as it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we're crying out for it in 2019. Um, well, well, maybe. Well, with the current landscape, perhaps it is what 2019 wrestling needs. So, before we go, do you have stuff to plug? Um, something to plug for extraordinary limited audiences, which is Channel Island World Wrestling, is on ciwwrestling.com, where you can also buy some excellent T-shirts. Do you have any VOD? We don't. We have a YouTube channel which has a select few kind of classic matches. Usually whenever we've featured uh, guest wrestlers, they all pop up on the YouTube. But And uh, promos and sort of weird documentaries and things end up on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you... Do you um, uh, this is me spiralling off here. Um, do, you actually, do you film all the shows? Uh, we do film everything, usually just for our own purposes, really. Uh, uh, a lot of the time, the, the video quality isn't necessarily up for something that we could put out for, for, yeah, for like the public. It's, or like it's that, single but... cam so that we can study and learn from what we've done. But um, in the past, there have been some matches that have been filmed with more of an eye to to public release. So on the, the YouTube channel, there's a few matches featuring um, Ophidian the Cobra. There's a Drew Gulak match up there. Um, there's a Tatonka match and so on. So there's a few um, a few matches that you can find from sort of stars of wrestling. In fairness, I mean, if you've got people listening to this podcast for stuff like, you know, Mills or No and Fit Finlay and stuff like that, you know, Drew Gulak matches like that, they're probably going to be quite up your street. Oh, absolutely. You and know, if you, you want to see, you'll, you'll see Drew Gulak wrestle a man dressed in a hot dog costume, then it's the only place. Drew Gulak versus Todd Hot Dog only happened once. Until Progress Book It in two years. Well, of course. Uh, for Super Strong Style 16. But there you go. That's fantastic. Uh, do you, yeah, do you, are you wanting to plug your personal Twitter as well? Uh, sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick underscore W underscore Reed. As well as I am on Twitter, I well, I, I also run the Pure Repurry podcast. I am Grand Exalted um, Viscount of the Pure Puri podcast. Don't tell Jordan Daniel <laughs> I said that. Uh, so we, you can view, you can see our stuff on SoundCloud. Just search the Pure Puri podcast. Uh, we have a Twitter that's at Pure Podcast. And really, we struck so much gold that we got in just at the perfect point because we got on there when there was like two Pure Podcasts. So we got Pure Podcast at that point, and then like a thousand of them came along. And we, we'd already got it. So, yeah, at Pure Podcast. We also have a Facebook page. We never update it. But, you know, like us on that. As well as that, we have a website that both myself and Patrick have contributed to in the past, which is I maintain a double foot stomp is silly.com. It gets sporadically updated. It, but there is some good stuff on there. You know, I, I did stuff about Robot Wars. Pat, you've done stuff about the homogenization of wrestling. Homogen- and and, and like sort of broadly talking about wrestling ideologies and. Um sort of different approaches to wrestling and why I feel again it ties into what we've been talking about here that uh, ev- yeah, that this is a style of wrestling that seems to have been lost and a presentation of wrestling that seems to have been lost whereas a lot of modern wrestling is sort of indistinguishable from itself so I've written uh, I've written a lot about about that really as well as that um, I do have a personal Twitter um, I literally use it to follow Scottish football accounts I'm not going to lie uh, because I felt that I was kind of clogging up the Puro Twitter 
with them because genuinely I just followed a bunch of football so if you want to follow me I am at Fahad M. Namur Fahad M. Namur was a, a player in FIFA International Soccer for Qatar <laughs> who was like massively overpowered he was like the greatest striker in the game the rest of them were all like terrible but he was great so I, I stole that so yeah, Fahad M. Namur. Um, I'm also doing some other podcasts uh, some about um, football in Glasgow, actually. It will be coming out in the near future, hopefully, if I can be bothered. And as well as that, if you want to uh, support me monetarily, um, you can go to fastbuck.bandcamp.com. Me and my friends do lots of weird projects and stuff like that on there that you can download. Uh, just pay what you want uh, if you want to give us some money. Fantastic. But yeah, um, so I think that wraps us up. So on, until episode two... Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Chaque nuit pour des éléphants roses Je rechanterai ma chanson morose Celle du temps où je m'appelais Jackie Être une heure, une heure seulement Être une heure, une heure Quelquefois Être une heure, rien qu'une heure Durant beau, beau, beau et con à la fois Je deviens gouverneur de tripot, cerclé de femmes languissantes. Même si là c'est d'être chanteur, j'y sois devenu maître chanteur, et que ce soit les autres qui chantent. Même si on m'appelle le beau Serge, que je vende des bateaux d'opium, du whisky de Clermont-Ferrand, de vrais PD, de fausses vierges. Que j'ai une banque à chaque doigt. Dans chaque pays Et que chaque pays soit à moi Je sais quand même que chaque nuit Tout seul au fond de ma fumerie Pour un public de vieux chinois Je rechanterai ma chanson à moi Celle du temps où je m'appelais Jackie Être une heure, une heure seulement Être une heure, une heure Quelquefois Être une heure, rien qu'une heure Durant beau, beau Beau et con à la fois Même si un jour au paradis Je devienne comme j'en serais surpris Chanteur pour femme à elle blanche Même si je leur chante Alléluia En regrettant le temps d'en bas Où c'est pas tous les jours dimanche Même si on m'appelle Dieu le Père Celui qui est dans l'annuaire Entre Dieu le fit et Dieu vous garde Même si je me laisse pousser la barbe À vouloir consoler les hommes Je sais quand même que chaque nuit J'entendrai dans mon paradis Les anges, les saints et Lucifer Me chanter ma chanson de naguère Celle du temps où je m'appelais Jackie Être une heure, 
une heure seulement Être une heure, une heure Quelquefois Être une heure Rien qu'une heure Durant Beau, beau, beau et con à la fois 